0: You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 network production. You
1: now I think I've said this probably twenty or thirty times. And we've done this over a hundred times. I really enjoy interviewing entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that came from fairly rural settings because they make the world go round. And they deal with, especially if you're in North Dakota, you deal with so many circumstances you can't control like weather. Today, when I ran, it was 18 below, wind chill of 38. Yeah, I have to question my intelligence, but I, I do that. Uh, and then there's the sparsely populated challenge that we all deal with. And as companies grow, become more complex, hire more employees, continue to grow, expand their footprint. Finding talent at times can be a challenge. It could be a challenge anywhere and everywhere, but in fairly sparsely populated states where weather can be a, a hindrance for some, that's a unique challenge. I am so excited today to have with me two folks in a company by the name of Stephas. I met Paul, I'm going to say it was somewhere around 12 or 13, 14 years ago in Dickinson where the company was started. Think the world of him have the wonderful pleasure and blessing really of serving on the North Dakota Economic Development Foundation board with Paul. So we've had opportunities to, to talk, not always at length, but to visit. And, and then I met Katie about three or four years ago. and Katie is a family member, Stephas, and is doing remarkable things in the company. So it is just a delight for me to introduce Paul Steffes and Katie Harrington from the Steffes Company. Welcome to Mike Seminary and friends. It's great to see you, how are you? And I'm gonna start with you, Katie. How are you this morning?
2: Thank you for having me on the show here, Mike. Um, Doing well, I think this morning, it was negative 25 when I had my drive to work and whiteout conditions. And uh, so, but we're getting ready here for Christmas. And it's going to be a great day and a great weekend because we're all going to be together.
1: Well, Paul, I'm going to come to you in a second. But Katie, thank you so much. But I got it begs the question because podcasts can be listened to everywhere. So if there's somebody listening to this right now on the the way to work in L.A., they're battling L.A. traffic. It's probably 68, 70 degrees, beautiful. And there's a million cars. Which would you prefer? Would you prefer that slightly uncomfortable temperature and the drive with the whiteout, or would you rather be driving in L.A. with a million cars? Are you asking me, Paul? No, I'm asking Katie. Okay. Oh,
2: oh I bet you said Paul. Sorry. Oh. So, honestly, um, I think I would pick the whiteout in the, the open road. Um, but... Uh, no, I I can't get back because that's a lot more dangerous. Um, I I would pick the the heavy traffic because you can see your surroundings a little bit better. Mm,
1: there you go, Paul. It's great to see you. How are you? And thank you for taking time to to join us today.
0: I, I'm doing just fine. Uh, you know, I, I've been uh, I've stepped down from being CEO just about two years ago. Uh, you know, just uh, in next week will be two years, but I'm still active in the company and I'm founder and innovation advisor. And I, I don't see full retirement ever. You know, I, the only retirement I see is when I can't move or can't think, um, you know, then, then I retire. And even if I'm not at Steffes, I need a battle. I need to be engaged in something. I need to have a sense that I'm at least trying to make a difference. Whether I'm making a difference or not, I'm not sure certain but I have to be trying anyway. Well, I,
1: I did notice that your new title is founder and chief innovation advisor. And I I'm, I'm, i can't think of somebody that'd be, uh, you know, more qualified than you to have the title of chief innovation advisor. And I did not mention that Katie is a product manager for Stephas Paul, the, the company... Um, was as it exists today was really started by you when you uh, graduated from NDSU and mechanical engineering, went back to Dickinson, but your father had been in the pew and cabinet manufacturing business. And somewhere along the line, before you went back to Dickinson, he, he got a little bit involved in manufacturing. I think it was snowmobile skis or something was, was his involvement in creativity the reason you were inspired to do pretty much the same thing and then come back to Dickinson?
0: Well, well, sure. You know, I my father was a grade school graduate, but he was a brilliant engineer. He could just build things out of wood or steel or whatever he had in front of him. He, he just had that knack. He came off the farm. He he. uh he was born in 1907. Uh, as a young teenager, his father got ill. He tried to run the farm for three years with his mom. and But uh, fortunately, Dickinson was the recipient of him after, uh, after it, it failed with this teenager trying to run the farm. And so I always think of my father as my creativity father. Uh, engineering was an important piece, but it gave me the language, it gave me the you know the mathematics it gave me some theory you know that uh, that complemented my father's uh, unique ability to i, I maybe may uh, I use the word cobble things together in some respect but it was always brilliant stuff that uh, you know he, he made all the equipment that can make church pews you know to laminate the pews to plane them to sand them and it's with that type of background that helped me you know you know do what we do today and my father was certainly different, and that uh, he was old school. He had to have his finger on everything, and he could never have more than ten or twelve people. Uh, and he didn't. He, he professed, "You, mu- I pay you to work, not to think." And we need to have a lot of thinkers in our company because now we have five hundred people, and uh, you know we have to have a lot of thinkers that can lead lots of different parts of the company, and they all have to do their part.
1: You know, you, you just validated something I have said. I've had Howard Dahl on, Jay Schuler, Tom Campbell, a couple of I'm forgetting, but people that have ag backgrounds. And there's this common thread. There's, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but so many folks that have come from a farm background, particularly a smaller farm, that probably was 25 miles from nowhere and nowhere was 25 miles from somewhere. They, all, almost all of them, you know, by necessity, were great engineers. They had to find a way to move water from one spot on the farm to another. They were so creative when something broke down, they didn't have the time or money to fix it, so they fixed it themselves. And then some of them went on to create other tools and apparatuses and equipment, and all of a sudden you have... Melrose and Bobcat and all of that, and so your dad is very, very similar. The farm didn't last quite as long as he had hoped, but he had this creative thing in him that inspired you. And here we are in, you know, two thousand and almost twenty-three, talking about Steffis with almost five hundred people, and and that's a, that's that's a that's a big company. Katie, do, do you have that same? DNA in you with regards to l- looking at something and out of curiosity creating or tweaking it and making something better you do you have that same DNA or gene in you
2: I, I I would like to say yes I do you know one of my big big uh purposes right now would be you know my dad talked a lot about taking a job shop and making it into a corporation and and he's been very successful at it. And one thing that I have on my plate is how can we do this for multi generations to come? And so we're, we're putting into, so really honing in, how, how can we make that better and, and still have streamlined it and not be too bureaucratic, but have an owner board management, um, um, a system in our company so we can keep going on for generations to come if, um, and ha- not to have family members be able to be in the business or not. Um, and that that would be something that I'd be working on strongly right now. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to think of um, some of the, the other examples that I may have.
1: Yeah, I'm going to ask you this question. When you said job shop, Paul referenced it as well. I mean, that's that's really a business where somebody comes in, they have a specific thing they need addressed, and your capabilities make it possible to do that job for somebody. And mm-hmm. If there aren't enough of those jobs coming in, kind of like a you know a bakery taking taking a number, if there if there's not a number there, there isn't a job, and you're trying to figure out what the next job is. When what you're trying to do, and what you're working on is, how do I see this current wonderful organization of that's almost 500 people or maybe more, I'm not sure, and position us for future growth opportunities and so you're you're kind of the 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 art of the long view is what you're saying and that's what you're yeah. trying that's what you're working on.
2: Yes, yes, and how do we create a vision that's sustainable and we can move into the future and and be confident that um we can take care of all 500 of our employees and uh be helping our communities that we live in. Mm well I, I want
1: to ask you a question and it you can if if you like you can address it by briefly covering you know the three main areas of your expertise the manufacturing uh, ets and electric, uh, electric thermal storage and oil and gas At, during the course of your career as you moved back to dickinson uh worked with your dad and then you, you took Stephas to a completely uh, different level if you will. how how, how did you um, d- deal with the the booms and the busts and all of those because there there probably were many th- those cyclical things that caused at times for business to be almost at a standstill. What was it in your DNA that helped you to get through that and continue to be the visionary that that I know you
0: to be today? Well, certainly we had many ups and downs. <laughs> Even in the last couple of years, we had a major downturn. But uh, uh, it, it does seem uh, that the number one thing is, you. I've always told myself, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And the greatest challenge was in 1987, when we you know, made the graduation from 12 employees to a hundred employees, uh, and we had to borrow third position money from the city of North Dakota to do it. And that third position money allowed us to get second position money from SBA. And that allowed us to get a lot of money from our local bank. And we really bet the farm, and there was a, you know, a full you know, three-year period where we were just losing money every month, but uh, our banks would come in and decide if they're going to allow us to stay open or to close. And they said, we're going to renew your note for one year, and it's because you still have enthusiasm. And so mm-hmm. it was uh, interesting how they actually said those words. And we kept our chin up and this dogged determination, come hell or high water, we're going to do it. And we eventually did.
1: Eighty-seven. That w- was that another one of the r- real tough ag periods for us. If, if my memory I know it serves was a me,
0: tough time. I think oil was down. There was a you know there was a a lot of down stuff. Uh, Katie was born in eighty-six, and uh, my father you know died in early eighty-seven. Uh, but uh, you know so, I, my father didn't uh, believe in borrowing money, of which we hadn't at that time. So I was a little sacrilegious and stepped out. But I I tried something, and I contend that, you know, you kind of said it yourself a minute ago. uh, I contend that a great majority of it is in the entrepreneurial world or success is to simply try things and know you're going to fail many many times. But um, as long as you go down the path, you learn, you readjust, you reshoot, and uh, you know if you if you keep at it, there's no question you'll succeed eventually
1: staying on the 87 period of time that's also when you launched yourself into the electric thermal storage space. well that was
0: the start from 12 people and and you know yes we were a job shop before that but before that you know uh, I had been out of school now for uh, for you know 14 years but my dream at the time was how can I ever take a week off, you know, and let the company continue? You know, we 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 didn't know we didn't have a backlog. You know, we maybe had projects that would take a few weeks, but you know, it was like a a dog with a little hot dog in front of him. Uh, we always had our daily bread, and uh, we always made payroll. And somehow something came in out of the clear blue sky, and uh, you know, we 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 survived. And to to into the future. We fully recognize we must reinvent ourselves every five years or some other number similar to that. And if we're not on this path of reinvent ourselves, trying to do something new pertinent to the world, pertinent to the current, uh, you know, economic, environmental, or political situation, uh, you know, we we won't be around. You know, so when Katie talks in terms of building the sustainable company, it is you know, how how can we position ourselves so that we can reinvent ourselves in whatever economic, environmental, political situation we're in.
1: Before we leave 1987, because some of this just seems to make sense to me, Dickinson started out cabinets and pews and snowmobile uh, runners, whatever they're called, and then evolved into more manufacturing and then oil and gas i get it because of dickinson but what what was the genesis behind electric thermal storage yeah. and going into that space
0: well it just happened that a college friend of mine you know worked at a uh, electric supply house in mandan and he called me you know this is uh you know 10 years after going to school and he said Geez, uh, there's cooperatives buying millions of dollars of these storage heaters from uh, from Europe, and uh, you know just having this determination. Well, we can do that, and and uh, you know we 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 felt we could get our hands on sixty thousand dollars. And man, what 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 can't you design with sixty thousand dollars? And uh, you know, half a million dollars later, we were finally getting our UL or our yeah, ARL label, but it was a safety label and uh we were we were committed we had to make this work and uh you know certainly over the years uh you know we've reinvented that technology to the point where now our technology is meant in the, mentioned in the IRA legislation all the rules and regulations aren't out yet but we have the potential of making that you know one of our significant you know profit uh, profit centers of our company
1: thank you paul Katie, Product manager, um, like Paul, you pursued a degree in mechanical engineering. By the way, when you were in the program at NDSU, how many women were in the program?
2: Oh, I wouldn't say more than five, there's just a handful of us. <laughs>
1: Paul, when you were in, were there any women at all?
0: None in my class. Zero.
1: <laughs> so, just so folks kind of get this, in terms of STEM, particular engineering, the world is your oyster. I'm just telling you that that is a place if, if, if you want uh, the potential for a wonderful career um, in exciting industries, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, but particularly mechanical or industrial. Uh, just ask Katie. Katie, when you yeah. graduated, you you went to work for, you didn't go to work for the family business, you went somewhere else first, correct?
2: Yeah, I correct. I, I started at Apario Systems in Pargo, actually, and they were a startup at the time, um, and, and we were making uh, different widgets for uh, general aviation. And I was doing mechanical design of uh, plastics, working with the circuit designers and the software designers, and then got into product project management because really, I I really enjoy the the cross-functional team and how can we get everyone to work together and, and, and meet the customer needs. That's, that's really what drives me. But one thing that, when you graduate with an in engineering degree, sometimes people assume that you know everything co- coming out of college, and I was—I was really, I don't know, if sheepish, intimidated. And I'll never forget the day I asked my dad, "I'm like, well, how do you just say I don't know?" <laughs> and and I feel like that was the one of the days that was like monumental in my career, and he said here Here he is on these board meetings, and he just will say, "I don't know." And to be able to say that in your career, because sometimes, especially in engineering, people feel like, well, I'm supposed to know it all, but to be able that's when you can create a team from there. And that's that I feel moved moved me uh, um, forward and propelled me forward to be able, you know, you work as hard as you can. But there, you can never know it all, and in order to learn more and more and more, you have to say I don't know, and, and then you can get a lot further.
1: Well, a couple of things, Katie. First of all, you had the great pleasure and blessing, really, of working with two remarkable visionaries and entrepreneurs. Yes, one of them being your father, and the other, Mister Bachelor.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: what? What a what a place to learn, right? second thing you're absolutely correct when it comes to some engineers I know I I worked in the industry and there are a number of engineers that do think they know everything and they'll let you know but the ones I learned the most from were the ones that said I don't know but I will try to find out and second they were some of the most curious people I have ever met in my life they always wanted to know how something worked and they weren't afraid to ask questions, to ask people for information. And then thirdly, typically those people also became, I'm gonna say great visionaries. And I was blessed to work with two of them. There were more, but directly work with two of them, two different companies, civil engineering, that weren't afraid to say, I don't know, but I, can, I think I can find out. And they were they were great visionaries. So I'm glad that you shared that uh, with us um, because that's, by the way, the other thing I'll say, engineers make the world go round. Engineers make the world go round. They help dreams come true, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's a city planner or a city engineer or the North Dakota Department of Transportation, they hire consult engineers, make the world go round, and we're lucky that we have them. Paul, the oil and gas business has been pretty significant for the state of North Dakota, and, and really the region, really the Bakken and Permian and the other basins have been very significant for our country and, and really uh, internationally when it comes to providing oil gas so on and so forth when you made the decision to expand into that space the oil and gas what was that simply because there was so much activity taking place or because of your natural curiosity you figured out I think I can provide something from Steffes that the industry absolutely has to have and do it better than somebody else.
0: Well, uh, I'm a half brain engineer. So I have always followed shiny objects. It probably wasn't this beautiful business plan, you know, this strategy that we had. Uh you know, we, we got by simply following an opportunity that happened to fall in our lap uh, for the first, uh, you know, uh, 25 years of business. And oil was the same. Someone in the hallway was walking up and down and said, geez, we need someone that could make oil field, 400 barrel oil field tanks right here in Dickinson. We can't get them. and They've have come a long ways to get here. And my ears perked up. And uh, anyway, we... We uh, went to one oil company and uh, I've never went into a sales call and on a first visit, not a PO, but uh, it was, I, I contend it was like an economic development PO. We'll give you an order for 12, four, 400 barrel oil field tanks that you've never made, but we had make round uh, grain bins in the past. But I showed him a picture of these grain bins we made years ago. He said, oh, I think you can do it. So he simply wrote out a PO. I think he was ready to call them to the trash barrel if they hadn't worked. And they were acceptable. They weren't high quality. But within a year, they were high quality. And suddenly oil companies came to us with a plethora of problems they were having. And we were able to solve many of them. And you know, we were able to, you know, grow oil to a very significant part of our business. Uh, but yeah, we we certainly love having some diversity as well. But uh, it was a a wonderful piece. We tried it. There was a an opportunity that was kind of thrown our way, and we we followed that shiny object to a good place.
1: Hmm. Katie, off the heels of that, your your company vision statement. I'm going to read it because it works perfectly after what Paul just said to inspire and empower people to create innovative product solutions that revolutionize the industry. And Paul just talked about how how that revolutionized Stephus and the customer that was looking for uh, a solution to a problem that they had. Mm -hmm. What are you working on in terms of you and or the company, to project out the next five to 10 years to provide solutions to some problems that maybe some people don't even know that they have them, uh, but clearly some that you're working on. What are you working on to help Stephas move that direction?
2: So so some of the products I'm working on with would be in the EPS arena where Paul, he has been Working on over the last 35 years, and and w- working with our engineers, our software guys who are have um, yeah, is some of the best in the industry, I'd say. But what I'm working on would be our electric thermal storage heaters. How can we um, bring those to market? How can we help everyone? understand the technology of how it can save them money, help the environment. Um,
1: is that both, I'm sorry to interrupt your train throughout. Is that both in commercial, industrial, residential space? Are you in all, all three of those
2: areas? Yes. Yes. We have products for all three of those areas. We have some, some of the newest ones, we would have um a heat pump water heater skid that can help supply hot water to to low low income housing to multi family units and 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 provide that in an economic way um,
1: So let me ask you this question in terms of this renewable energy technology space that we're talking about, and and Paul can weigh in on this too, with, now now this is for North Dakota, not because you have other geographical cases. We'll talk about that momentarily. But Governor Burgum, during the last session, said we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030, 2035, I think it's 2030. And then the legislature in their infinite wisdom uh, funded the clean, sustainable energy authority where a number of opportunities use some of those funds if they need them to provide uh, new projects, if you will. For example, the gas to liquids plant up in Trenton, uh, North Dakota are, are, are there opportunities for a company like Stephas that's in the renewable energy technology space to be part of the Clean Sustainable Energy Authority funds that hopefully they'll renew them again? I know the governor wants them. Is there is there an opportunity for Stephas to be part of those funds that we're making available? Paul, do you know?
0: Um, in North Dakota, I, I don't know. I, I certainly would like to know more about them. You know, I, I'm not sure what department we'd go to, but I, I do know we are spending a great deal of time and money pursuing uh, various federal, you know, kind of uh, opportunities with the IRA. Uh, it was a delight in the last month, Stephas was asked to join the Thermal Storage Consortium led by the national, you uh, 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 yeah, you know, the NREL uh, National Renewable Energy Laboratory, and uh, uh, we, we we certainly have a number of conversations going with the DOE, uh, with how uh, Treasury is going to interpret the IRA to uh, allow or not allow our technology to be uh, incentivized. But uh, you know, at this point, it certainly has a feeling that legislation is clear that we'll we will be included. But uh, you know certainly the tr- Treasury has a way of rewriting legislation to their wishes as well. Um, but you know I, th- that that's something I'd like to you know have a conversation with someone uh, in North Dakota. We certainly have a a lot of different uh, things you know we're we're doing you know both with the oil industry and the electric industry to make them more friendly to uh, the environment. And uh, uh, you know we we could go into a great deal of depth, how we're going to help both industries.
1: Maybe when we're done, we can have a quick conversation about what we had just talked about, but by the way, congratulations on being included in the consortium and being recognized. That's uh, that, that that should be applauded by the way. The, so you started in Dickinson, North Dakota. I think your dad actually started the The cabinet and pew manufacturing business of 47, you came back in 73 or 4, somewhere in there, and took Steffes to a whole new level. But now, you're not just in Dickinson, you're in Grand Forks, where Katie, you manage the operations in Grand Forks, but you're also in Shelby, North Carolina, Midland, Texas, Casper, Wyoming, and Oklahoma City. What prompted the expansion of the footprint for Stephas to go into those locations
0: Paul. so the grand forks um if you go back to dickinson in about you know 2012 2013 there was a land of opportunity and it was literally impossible to get employees apartments were renting for 3500 a month and um yeah you know, even though we had plenty of work we just couldn't get employees so it just happens that there were two plants that were basically operating in Grand Forks, uh, God bless America, we were able to buy them for 20 cents on the dollar. And uh, you know, all the equipment was hooked up and ready to go when we were able to get both plants manufacturing steel products very quickly. Uh, the presence for Wyoming, Texas, Oklahoma was that that was where the market is. And we have primarily sales and, and service kind of people and some light manufacturing in Texas. You know, we have a facility where we can do some light manufacturing. Um, uh, With North Carolina, we have one customer that just is large enough and uh, said, we need you uh, in North Carolina. And they're a large enough customer. we said, okay, tell us where we should be. And we worked with the governor there and they they asked us to be in the most economically depressed part of North Carolina. And, uh, you know, we put a, Ad for pay, you know, and for, you know, help the next day we had 150 applicants. So, mm. you know, so far we've been able to get all the help we need. And so uh, it is a potential growth area for us.
1: Thank you, Paul. Katie, staying on the talent search and acquisition conversation, you know, we hear that a lot right now, ev- everywhere we, we are hearing that there are a lot of openings it's hard to fill them it's hard to find people it, it and it almost doesn't matter what the industry is are you finding uh, s- something similar for your company when you're trying to find talent whether it's in welding electrical transportation marketing sales fabrication any of that are you are, are, do you struggle finding the talent that you that you need
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm not in plant operations anymore. Um, I'm focused on product management, but yes, I I would say we definitely are Mike. Um, we're trying to be as creative as possible. I know our HR department is creating different shifts kind of come, come as you, I, I forget their tagline with it, but trying to focus on if you need to drop the kids off in the morning, we will adjust your, your, um, when When you can come to work or when you can leave, and and you still need a schedule, but you can have a flexible schedule um, and trying to be creative there. Um, yeah, you know, finding welders. so working with local local um, um, colleges with the with welding certificates to talk to the students as they're coming in. Versus at the end, because most of them by six months, they all have jobs ready. Mm. And, and so we're trying to be as creative as possible and work with with everyone around us to, to try to find employees. Um, but yes, it is is definitely um, more, more of a struggle than we have seen in mm. the past.
1: You just mentioned something that not too long ago would never have been part of a conversation. You know, I'm I'm an old guy and grew up at a time where you know, this is how we do things. We're not going to be flexible. And it's not about the individual. It's about the company getting this done. Now there's work-life balance and work-life mm-hmm. balance. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you never heard about work-life balance. And clearly when I started my career over 40 plus years ago, you never heard that. That has become... Uh, a mantra and a philosophy that ha- has become and rightfully so critically important. That's important for Steffis,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I'd say that's, when I talk to some of our employees, that's one of their biggest things. If, it, if they, we, we give the opportunity to work from home with some positions and if they have to be home with the kids for, for different reasons, we, we are flexible. Uh, we're understanding. We have this family atmosphere, and and so we will we will work with employees as much as possible to to make um, accommodations. But also, we need to get work done. So so there has to be a plan in place and that can be executable.
1: Mm. Thank you, Katie. Paul, would during the course of your career as. Um, Culture has different types of influences on society, uh, work, you you name it. How did you adapt to, you know, here here we are in fairly rural North Dakota, uh, out in uh, even more rural North Dakota, a a Dickinson versus a Fargo or Grand Forks, where we're kind of set in our ways. For the most part, that happens. How did you um, uh, become f- flexible to adapt to the changing customs and cultural norms? Or were you always like that? Were, were you always the kind of guy that said, people first, let's get this done?
0: Well, what I can say... um for many years i've felt the meaning of life is making people feel good about themselves mm-hmm. and so not everyone can do it but the people that that uh, can live in this ambiguous world and kind of live on the bleeding edge of technology i i like to give them rope enough where they maybe hang themselves but but uh, you know so that you know they can feel good about themselves and uh, uh that you know, at least that's the ideal situation and they step up and uh, can do things they never dreamt they could accomplish and our company benefits from that um not not everyone enjoys living in that entrepreneurial creative uh, ambiguous world so it isn't for everyone but for for a certain portion of people that enjoy that you know we, we try and give them a a playground or a playpen to, you know, to exercise that part of their brain uh, if they enjoy that and uh, show signs, some signs that they can succeed in that area and bring us the new products.
1: Paul, well, with, with regards to your main role now, chief innovation advisor, yeah, how 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 do you keep the the, the pump working in terms of? I, I need to find new ideas for innovation so that our company can continue to evolve to be part of that art of the long view opportunity. What What are you doing to keep that?
0: Well, and it kind of ties back to the owner board management kind of system and how, you know, how do you do it? One thing that we have in our owner's plan is that we direct management to spend a minimum They can spend more, but they must spend 1% of gross sales on products that are risky, you know, runs that they don't have a business plan. They don't have a, you know, there has to be a gut feeling that maybe there's some snowball chance in hell that you can succeed with this. Someone has to have kind of a, a passion for it. And there has to be kind of a vision that we could make money on it. It has to have a is there some stretch of the imagination that it's us with the equipment we have, with the people we have, could we be the best in the world at it? And you just kind of ask those general questions and we, we try and fund those types of opportunities. And that type of thinking has uh, you know, worked out in the past, but certainly there is a great deal of work uh, like Kate mentioned before to refine that process. Uh, I, I will tie one one more thing to it. You and Katie talked about humility in the past, and the type of test that, uh, in my mind, you know, to to fit into this you know creative world is you you must be able to say I don't know what you mentioned, uh, but you also have to be willing to say uh, I I fail often and I need help. You know, in a, in addition to simply saying you don't know, and and that creates. An atmosphere where a team can can generate you know can generate great of great things. I will add one more piece that I'm kind of passionate about right now. Uh, it used to be you know I openly used the word well let's brainstorm on something. I'm trying to strike that from my you know from my vocabulary, and I'm I'm now a disciple of a new book, a more beautiful question, and I love the thought of saying let's question storm. And, you know, I could go into much more detail why I feel that is much more valuable than simply brainstorming. And you you, you don't want to answer the question too quickly, because some people will have an answer. And as soon as they have an answer, now they're, they're uh, kind of emotionally attached to that answer. And they'll defend their answer to the to their death almost, where you want to keep it as a question until you, you know, kind of, have more knowledge and uh, can address all of the questions of this solution, you know. So, so it's a interesting change in philosophy I've had in the last year.
1: You see, the name of the book is a more beautiful a more question? beautiful question. I like that. Katie, have you read that book?
2: I just bought it. I haven't. I haven't cracked it open yet, but I did just buy it, and I I look forward to it, reading it.
1: This was not a question I was thinking about. And I don't write very many down. I just write down information that either someone provides me or is on the website. hey what's it like working
2: with your dad? I enjoy it. I, You know, he always brings uh, great insight and vision. And uh, he, we always find out what's possible. You know, a lot of times you can think, oh, how can we solve this problem? And uh, it might not be the easiest solution, but we find a solution and then we can hone in on it in the future. And uh, I, I, I'm really enjoying it right now. where how can we how, yeah, I, I just very much enjoy it.
1: Well, I ask because I, I had the opportunity for a brief period of time uh, working with my father. And really miss him. I, I wish I could, I could be working with him again. I learned so much from him, and he was just he was so wise. And Paul, you're the same way. I've always enjoyed listening to you. I enjoy being uh, being around you. Here's a a question that, that I'm gonna, I'm asked with regards to weather and finding talent in North Dakota does weather negatively impact your ability to find people if they don't live in North Dakota? I'm assuming the, your footprint is big enough, and you're your big enough in North Dakota where sometimes you can't find the talent here for a particular role, so you go outside. Katie or Katie, Paul, whoever wants to answer that is does weather sometimes, again, go ahead, Paul.
0: Well, I, I was going to give it to Katie. But- oh. It's a, certainly, it's a factor, but I, I don't hear that being the sole answer. You know, it, it it's like, I, I can remember uh, bringing in a, a supply chain manager, you know, some years ago, and I'm walking him around the track at the Dickinson Community Center. It's a beautiful recreational kind of facility. And I overhear the wife telling her husband, I could live here, you know, just you're looking at this beautiful facility. Um. So weather is a, a is a factor, but I I everyone I hear more of a joking or kind of a sidebar. Uh, you know, it it may be more of a factor, but I I, I don't sense it as big as many people think of it. Katie, do you have an opinion on that?
2: I I would agree. I I don't hear about it as much. I I feel like after they get you know get exposed to it the first winter, it it always takes them by surprise, but. I, I've had kind of the same experience hearing, you know, they they may meet close groups of friends in in this air in our areas, and so that's what really keeps them here. And so the weather is only so much. I I haven't experienced it personally where people say no, I can't live in North Dakota due to the weather.
1: Well, if you ever have a candidate and you really want this person and they bring up the weather, give them my cell number. I will talk about the weather, how it's such a blessing, and being out in it is just such a treat. Paul, where, where do you see uh
0: five years from now? Well, all I could do is kind of project from the past. I do know that right now i feel that we're living in the land of opportunity like i've never felt before Mm -hmm. the world is filled with problems and uh so us as a small guy has just as much chance to succeed as other much larger companies and it isn't the strongest or the smartest that survive it's he who is willing and able to adapt to change so, um, you know, in every one of our markets, I, I see this potential explosion, explosive growth potential, you know, if we're able to, you know, to to stay on the you know, bleeding edge and survive the, you know, you know new industries emerging, you know, uh, you know energy storage, uh, helping oil companies uh, greatly reduce the cost of completing wells in the in the Bakken and other other shale plays uh, and and other OEM products that we're we're bringing on as well like the origin that Katie mentioned that we're you know, we did our first apartment house in Seattle and it's it's an exact alignment with what we feel you know the White House and the you know the new clean um you know movement um, needs and so so um, you know it, it does feel that there is a wonderful potential for us over the next five years. But the other thing I have to realize after being in business for 50 years that we must risk everything every day and you can't lose sleep over it. You've got to uh, kind of charge forward and the worst that can happen is you lose everything you have to date and you start over. And it has been that kind of kind of, uh, that kind of knowledge or that sharing with my wife, that's made it easier for me to take big risks over the years.
1: Hmm. Katie, do you have the same answer? Where do you see Stephas in five years?
2: I, I would echo that, that, you know, I, I, I see that there's this opportunity all over and we need to figure out a way how, how can we capitalize on it? And one step at a time it can be quite overwhelming but you you kind of um you know pull the picture apart and you take one one task at a time and one one step at a time together as a team and hopefully each one of our divisions will be thriving in in the next 5 years and uh will be growing
1: i i have to think that Since 1987, you've really been in the renewable energy business, the almost the alternative energy business, with your entree into electric thermal storage and how that has continued to expand. And back to your point, Paul, given the emphasis on cleaner, you know, everybody wants abundant, affordable cleaner energy. I, I think everybody is looking for that. And of course, now we're putting in laws and legislation that probably accelerate that entree into that uh, space. But you've been there a long time. So in many ways, you're a leader in uh, solutions that people are are looking for. So kind of my closing question is, what are you doing in terms of, you know, marketing and letting people know that here is a great option or alternative for you? And I'll I'll start with you, Paul.
0: Well, certainly, even this morning, uh, you know, we have ways that I can only touch to tell you how we have advanced the electric thermal storage from 87 was simply a hot box of bricks with good insulation. And we had very little control, but we could do this particular product. But today we interface them with air source heat pumps in a way that uh, give consumers more comfort, lower cost of operating. And we give every home a 250 kilowatt hour battery for the renewable energy to park itself for use later. Uh, and so we can suck up gigawatt hours, terawatt hours of excess wind, solar, or other you know, electricity that can't be consumed exactly at that second stored for use later. So in many respects, we are not the only solution, but we are a scalable proven solution that uh, can can really help the world. and I would need more than an hour to explain how you can provide predictable and verifiable up and down load following or load regulation with assets that only consume electricity. But we do that every day with the help of uh, some wonderful cloud services, two way communication to these assets, providing visibility, controllability, and verification.
1: I think we have one of the best kept secrets, maybe, in.
0: And, and we're, we're waving our hands. It was interesting. Let me brag about Katie for a minute. Please do. She went to Colorado in the last two months. And there was a gal, you know, of, you know, had a few years at DOE, but kind of new at the DOE. Her name was Cedar or something. Anyway, Katie chased her down, and she arranged a call with the head of the DOE, you know, the people that are head of this department. And it 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 has a nice feel, it's going in a good direction and uh, you know it is that type of connection where you know Katie arranged this call with these mucky mucks at DOE. and by the end of the hour they they were saying, "We need to talk again. you know we we need more information about this and so uh yeah, it is one you know kind of piece that that really gives me hope that we will uh, succeed in getting that message out. We need to tell people in North Dakota more about it as well. And it is true, uh, we 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 not only have the room units, but we are a world leader in central systems, and we have a hundred thousand installations throughout the U.S. and Canada, and uh, we're hoping to make that millions.
1: I love it, Katie. Good job, by the way, on that. Here's a question for you: If you had a magic wand, you could wave over the heads of um, Anyone and everyone that is exploring how to be more efficient, more environmentally friendly when it comes to consuming, producing electricity, energy in their home. What's the one thing you want them to know about Steffes?
2: Hmm, The one thing. So many things that come to mind um, by our products.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: they call us, and we can help figure out there.
1: And they uh, and they they need to get to stephes. right? S t e f f e s. dot com. Yes. Paul and Katie, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. I'll have that information on mikesemery.com and. North Dakota and beyond North Dakota is blessed to have the Steffes family and the Steffes company uh, involved in providing wonderful solutions for opportunities and problems that we have today. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Mike.